your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Emily Maynard. Emily is a licensed therapist in California, and she grew up in the intersection of evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity and now specializes in helping people heal from religious trauma. She loves helping smart, sensitive people embody new stories. Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Carrie. It's so great to be here. Yeah, I am so happy to have you here and excited to dive into what I already know is going to be an incredible conversation. Um, so let's dive in because I I want to get this like meat out there for the world. Um, so the first question I ask everybody is, what does wellness mean to you today at this stage in your life? Yeah, I love the question and a few weeks that I had to think about it and really kind of identify more of like, what does wellness mean to me? And I think I came down to this idea of connection. For me, I know that I'm well when I feel connected to myself, certainly connected to my body mm-hmm. and connected to people around me. Um, yeah, connected to my community. That's yes. what really feels good to me. Yeah. Are there um, particular ways that you connect to these different areas, yourself, your body, your community, and and any other connections that are important? Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah, I think it's really hard to do all of it at once. And that's one thing that I keep coming back to is that wellness is really about the flexibility to find that connection again when I feel off. Mm. If I... um, have sort of been neglecting one area, right? Maybe I've been spending a lot of time with friends and that means I've been neglecting things like, you know, more dedicated time to move my body in a good way or maybe more time to feed my body in a good way. I sort of, it's really fun. And then I sort of start feeling a little bit worn out as an introvert and somebody who does better with more movement and more um, like focused nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I'm thinking of just this constant sort of coming back into balance mm-hmm. um, and, you know, perhaps wondering, I've been thinking a lot about as we're changing seasons, what what wellness looks like right now compared to maybe what it looked like a few months ago and finding that balance of how much social time do I need? How much rest do I need? Um like that connection, you didn't name this, but I'll name connection to the cycles and rhythms of nature and the world, the earth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what I know about you, um, just from our previous conversations is, well, you just said you're an introvert, but I know also highly sensitive is something that I believe you would identify with. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how being an introvert, being highly sensitive impacts what types of connection you need and what wellness looks like. Ooh, that one feels really good. I think it feels, it's felt really different at different points in my life where I was more disconnected to wellness. 
I know when it shows up again in a way that's unhealthy for me, it looks like go, go, go all out. Mm. I'm really excited. And then I just stop and I don't return text messages for a week Mm. and I can't make any plans and I can't physically do anything, even though I still want to, because I wasn't connected to my limits and I wasn't pacing myself along that way. I think being highly sensitive for me means I just have to stay really careful of my limits and to know that they're not personal and they might not look like anybody else's limits, but they are mine and they're sort of my pet thing to take care of is to just try to stay really connected to them, to not judge them, to know they might change over time in different ways, and to really just try to bring myself and my activities and my energy back into alignment with like where where are those limits and how can I be more in tune with them and more practically in line with them. Yeah, and a lot of what I hear you saying um sounds very much to me like someone who has recovered from evangelical fundamentalist christianity and i'm i'm curious how how you came to this like connection to yourself because my experience in high control religion was that you really aren't supposed to be you're taught to fear yourself not trust yourself not be connected with yourself so i'm curious if that's your experience, and if so, how you got to this place of honoring connection. Yeah, that was certainly fundamental to my upbringing. I mean, I think this idea that my heart is deceitful was one of the first mm-hmm. like Bible verses I learned. Like one of the first things I learned about, you know, my families and my community's ideas of like God and the world and myself was that I don't get to exist and that mm-hmm. I have to be really suspicious of anything that feels intuitive or innate or deeply true for me. Um, And that's taken me more than a decade to unwind. (laughs) Like, I think I'm probably, um, I think I figured out I was like 16 years in to this process, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And it's certainly gotten more familiar over time. But, but I think even just giving myself time to learn Mm. new things was really important as I was like leaving those systems And then unwinding so many of the little like tendrils of things that I don't agree with anymore that actually just kind of show up in my life or my behavior. This idea that like I have to save other people and that's really my core job is to sacrifice myself the way that, you know, Christ sacrificed himself and that I had to like join this mission. And it was really about like making other people conform to these religious beliefs and then religious behaviors I grew up kind of on the edge of fundamentalism where um, we were like consciously out of the mainstream. We were really excited to be different, um, large families, homeschooling, not affiliating, like creating our own little subcultures. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's just, I was really separated from the world and I've had to unlearn that desire to separate and to think I'm better than anybody else or to save them with my own ideas. Yeah. Were, were you in a non-denominational church? Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah, yes. it was on the reformed <laughs> side of things. So I think it was connected to some of the larger reformed movements, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was non-denominational. Yeah. That sounds really similar to my upbringing in a non-denominational church that 
it is they really kind of are their own denomination um mm-hmm. in their like beliefs and practices um but yeah i it, we so we've talked about like wellness as connection to yourself and to others and i i've been thinking a lot recently about how being in a high control religion or any religion really kind of provides connection and community in some ways. And I'm curious if from your experience and from your professional expertise, if you could, if you feel comfortable talking a little bit about, I guess, what it's like to leave that community and how to meet that need outside of religion. Yeah. I mean, I think your community and and your involvement, it will define, will sort of um, tell you what's possible in leaving. Like I got to have sort of a slow fade. Mm. Um, nobody chased after me. I never got any like, hey, we should meet for coffee and check in on your soul kind of meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me was like, oh, did they not even really notice I left? Like that that was its own kind of pain. Yeah. But I, I also had time to slowly transition to, you know, like a less fundamentalist church um, had more openness and my, was involved there for a number of years. And then I had sort of excuses of like, oh, these other things are happening. And that's why I'm sort of not not showing up as much or I have to stop volunteering or some things that gave me good excuses along the way to sort of keep under the radar. How did you know that that you needed to leave? or wanted to leave? Or was it even a conscious knowing? Yeah, I don't think it was a conscious knowing, but my body knew. So I started like freaking out in church. (laughs) That was what happened. I would go, I would like do my volunteer work. And then I would go sit in a service and everything in my body was just like, get out. I mean, my skin was crawling, this pit in my stomach. Like I couldn't focus. I couldn't see straight. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like everything was just saying, get out of this room. And I didn't know why. Cause I was like, no, no, no. What are you talking about? This is way better than the church I grew up in. Like women are allowed to speak here. Like, you know, and mm. it still wasn't safe. It wasn't equal. It wasn't affirming. It wasn't inclusive. And it was still a system that looked prettier on the outside, but was still a system of power and control that my body wouldn't let me stay in. Yeah. So you were experiencing that physiological reaction in the church that was like a transition church for you, not the one you grew up in. Right. Even. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I I came back from college, the church I grew up in was sort of on its way. Like it was sort of a cult of personality and that person had lost a lot of power and, and enough things had happened that the church was just like, fading and it no longer exists right now it's not it you know kind of flamed up and grew quickly and then burned out over the next decade or so after that yeah so was it a conscious choice to leave that church or was it sort of out of necessity because it just no longer existed it it was a conscious choice I um had gone away to college in another state and when I came back I had sort of gained enough sense of myself and my own beliefs Mm -hmm. that I knew I didn't want to go there. And I could sort of tell my parents like, Hey, that's too far away. Like, I don't, I'm not going to drive out there. I'm going to, you know, go to this Mm -hmm. church instead. And my parents are lovely and so accepting of me and my siblings all being adults. Like, I think that's one thing my parents did really well was let us 
become our own people as adults. And so that was, there was space for me to do that because of my family and because of that openness that my parents had towards, you know, me and that I would be okay. Yeah. And it sounds like a, an understanding that you, it was natural and appropriate for you as an adult to make your own choices around religion and spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a... And to me, that does sound like a real gift that your parents have given you to, um, not that you needed them to give you space, but they've honored, it sounds like they've honored that space in a lot of ways. Yeah. And their, their ability to do that has allowed us to be close because Mm. there isn't this controlling sense. There's not a lot of like checking in or, or wanting to be in charge of me once I became an adult. And so that means that we get to have a better relationship now because we're not in some weird power struggle most of the time. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. I just wish that that could be sent out to all parents <laughs> to, yes. uh, whose children grew up in high control religions that like, if you create a little bit more openness, we can have a closer relationship. Yeah. I mean, that makes me wonder about like different types of connection with family now, connection with community now, and what's that looks like. It sounds like you're not in a church community at this time. So what does connection look like, family or otherwise? It's changed so much over the past couple of years. I think um, I had a lot of, I had an experience with a friend group that sort of imploded and I lost some really close friends that I never expected to mm-hmm. um, right before the pandemic. So, you know, that happened and that was really absolutely traumatic. Like, I don't think we talk enough about the intensity of other relationships besides romance or family, but these were, you know, friendships that I, you know, grew up with, people who grew up in the same high control religion. And we all got out together and we couldn't, we sustained a really meaningful relationship for a while and then we couldn't anymore. And then the pandemic happened, right? And that was its own layer of isolation and needing to be you know, cautious and safe and really change and rethink a lot of relationships. So my world just got really small. Um, I was in grad school for part of that and, you know, working on my hours, um, really trying to keep my family safe. That was a big concern for me. And so my world just, I didn't have a lot of friends for a while. I had just a couple of really close friends that um, I didn't grow up with or, or, you know, we had enough connection about other things that we could sustain mm. friendship during that time. But it's really only now, I would say in the past six months that I felt like I'm finding a community again, mm. sort of through a church, which is a little bit funny, but it's also really lovely. It's this like very progressive little community of people. And I sort of can't keep myself away from them in a way, you know, through other means, not through services, but through, you know, hey, would would you deliver a meal to this family that just had a baby or doing a book group together? We went through Emily Joy Allison's um, hashtag church to book. Yeah, because the church said, hey, a bunch of people should read this. And I thought, yeah, I want to join that. Like, I want to be around those conversations always. Mm. Um, And then just sort of having lunch together once a month or so with this community of people. Mm. And I and I think that's the 
best part of church that I really missed was like the way that people genuinely do show up for each other in small, meaningful, daily ways across the country in non mega churches, <laughs> in like places where there's just connection and community. And it's been really lovely to find space like that again and find genuine connections there that are not based on spiritual sameness at all. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that you brought this up because I I think there is the impression by a lot of people outside of the like religious trauma, and I have air quotes around that community, um, that those of us who are professionally working in this space like hate religion and want everyone to just like never engage with religion. Um, and it's, I really appreciate what, um, I believe it's Laura Anderson who says like, we're not anti-religion, we're anti-harm. Um, yeah. So I'm curious if you could speak, I know that you work with religious trauma. If you could speak to what religious trauma means for you and perhaps what safety or health or wellness within religious community can look like. I think religious trauma is, I mean, it's, it's trauma. It's the impacts of trauma that we see, the hypervigilance, the negative self-image, you know, maybe to the point of flashbacks, certainly impacts on the body, all of those sensations that we call trauma that show up, but that circle around religious experiences. And a lot of my work focuses on people who were born into their religion, their family, their parents chose to raise them in these high control religions. I think that experience of being a child in a high control religion is so different than adults who choose religion and maybe get into a church that, you know, is very dysfunctional or even a religion that kind of goes wrong for them because there's so many formative experiences as a child. And once those are woven in with the ideas and the practices of high control religion, it's just so much more to untangle, to redevelop your identity, to deal with the impacts of purity culture and a sort of, it's almost like you're starting over adolescence. Yes. I mean, your 20s, 30s or 40s. Yes. When you leave a system like that, it's so disorienting. So a lot of my work focuses on helping people who had those experiences find new stories and to be able to choose what they want to take with them in the form of values. That's the word that I like to use. Um, like, what are the things that you always found true, even in religion, that are still with you now outside of those religious experiences? You know, Do you care about love? Do you care about justice? Do you care about deep meaning? Do you care about like beauty? What are the things that are driving you now that you can that you can trace the whole time? They've always been true for you. And how can you find ways to, to keep those? That to me is like post-religious trauma growth mm, is yes. being able to know that that part of the story happened, to choose what you want to take with you, and then to start imagining the now and the future that's so much more meaningful to who you are now outside of that. Mm. I think that's a little off topic than your question, but. No, but I, I think that's really important. Um, I think you just really fleshed out what it means to embody new stories. 
Um, and I'm, you know, there's so much more that we could say about that, but I, I think you touched on something I find really important as well is we don't have to like look at the, the past religious experiences as all bad that we got nothing from it. I think it's really useful to find like in narrative therapy, what we would call like the richer story rather than this thin narrative of um, I am a bad person or this is a bad institution, which that I want to say could be true in some cases that institutions are bad, not that people are bad, Um, but that there is a richer story in there, right? Like that beauty and love and like all these things are interwoven and we can kind of like untangle the threads and choose I guess how we want to like make the quilt moving forward with the thread we already have just yeah it's so hard because there's certainly a a place like I think of it as like a map like a fantasy world map at the front of like a fantasy book like there's certainly a land of like this is bad here's what happened to me here's where it's wrong like I had to get out like I just sort of the the disorientation of that first knowledge of that what happened to you was not normal for everyone and that a lot of it was wrong yes but I think there is a place to come to at other points through a lot of your own work and your own path that does get to say like hey I've always been a kid who knew right and wrong really clearly like I've always had moral clarity I had it in this system and it was used against me and now I get to keep moral clarity on my terms and I get to use it to make the world more of what I think it should be. And that's empowering. I have a lot of agency and that again comes after like maybe decades of work, yes. things I'm still working towards, but it's, it's, it is possible. And I think it's one useful goal to have in mind if you're just starting this idea of untangling or deconstruction or recognizing your story as involving religious trauma. Yeah. Yes, that it is it, it that both things can be true, right? It is important to name the harm, to name abuse in many cases, and it's important to recognize that you are so much more than what you experienced and what happened to you. I want to come back to um what it's like to be in religious community as someone who grew up in a high control religion, to be in religious community as an adult by choice um, in what I assume is a safer way for you. Because I think a lot of people I've talked to so far, either we just haven't talked about this or they just are atheist or don't have any religious connection at all. So I want to like capitalize on, on your experience and just like hear about that a little bit more. You use the word choice and that stands out to me because I think that's one thing that I am bringing with me as I'm like tiptoeing back into semi-religious spaces is I get to choose which parts of it I engage with. High control religion is always all or nothing. Like you are, you are all in and you can form in all these ways or you are out. And a healthier community looks a lot more like, oh yeah, you don't need to come on Sunday. Like, what do you want to do? Like, oh yeah, you don't have to like volunteer or like you can start something and stop it you can try something and figure out it's not for you and we're not gonna say you're bad or wrong or we're not gonna panic about that we're just gonna say like great where 
where do you fit? Or like, what do you want? Because mm-hmm. I think there's so much meaning that can be found in religious traditions if there's ways for you to engage in that that feel safe. Yeah. And safety is always tricky after trauma, right? Because your body just goes into a mode where nothing is safe. Yes. But caution and choice, sort of like taking a step and then really evaluating, like, how does this feel? Do I actually like this? <laughs> Those are hard questions to answer, and they require a lot of willingness to move forward, right? To take tentative steps forward, to take take a step back when you need to, and then to try moving forward again, even if it's in a different direction. Yeah. And you don't you don't have to believe, I guess. Like you don't have to believe anything is true to find it meaningful. I know that distinction is like a little bit tricky, but I don't, I don't think Christianity is true. I think Christianity is a sort of myth and a metaphor that's useful to me because it was shaped a lot of how I see the world. And it certainly shaped a lot of the world, Yes, (laughs) but having ideas of like metaphors or, um, you know, I think there are some verses that are still like stuck in my head and I can never get them out because I did all the like. Bible memorization as a child. And so I try to think like, how can I use these in new ways? Or how can I see them with a new perspective of like, I have a lot of knowledge of an ancient and modern religion. Mm-hmm. And how might that be useful in making my life meaningful rather than just thinking like, oh, I'm only carrying around all these like terrible mind worms of destruction and pain. Like, this is still my life. And I still get to choose how to bring whatever I want forward or to reframe it or to reshape it or to restore it. So important. And I, I really appreciate that, that in your recovery process, you've been able to see the value of this, like you said, ancient tradition. Um, it's really, I mean, there's been always sort of threads of harm within religion, but there's also we gravitate towards religion for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. For ways of seeing the world and making sense of the world. And at its best, yeah, it can provide so much. Right. I mean, as much as we can tell from anthropology and, you know, the historical record, like most cultures have had some idea of God or something bigger than themselves and found different ways to express that, to connect with that course it's been interwoven with you know things like patriarchy and you know power and violence and then certainly capitalism now especially in the U.S. and in churches but but also like it's it's kind of human to want a god or to imagine a god or to a spirit and and I like that I can still connect with that because that makes me feel deeply human Mm, yeah yeah I'm curious if there's ways that you connect with that um, outside of church, if there's other ways that you connect to maybe spirituality and God or divinity or however you language it. I would say I spend a lot less time trying to connect with a God because I haven't found that super useful, but I do spend a lot of time consciously trying to connect with people. Mm. Whether that's, you know, showing up in online spaces and having, you know, conversations for decades about a lot of these um, topics or reading, feeling connected to an author right through their work. 
Um, if I take time to sit down and read some poetry, I always find that meaningful, but sometimes I forget how good it feels. Yeah. I like going to art museums and just seeing like, what have people made? Like what, what sort of things are people yes. making that are brilliant or beautiful? That makes me feel very connected. And then just sort of acts of service or connection or solidarity make me feel really connected to what I think is truly meaningful. I didn't, you know, I, I wrote all these prayer journals to God and like tried to read the Bible as if God was speaking to me mm-hmm. and that I just, I'm not interested in doing that right now. Maybe it'll come back. I don't know. I get to change my mind whenever I want, yes. but, but right now I don't find a lot of like meaning or value in those practices as much as like trying to find God versus like, well, just how can I connect with people? Mm, yes. And that perhaps they're not so different, yeah. at least in my perspective. I, I totally agree that connection, really authentic, genuine connection with people, whether it's in this setting, talking to people, or like you said, through art or service, that that is spiritual practice. And for me, that is a way of connecting with divinity or sacredness or however you want to call it. Yeah, that I think that one of the things that um, evangelicalism, fundamentalism does really well is create the us versus them, that um, us versus them as in like people outside of our community are, are separate and not to be interacted with or let into our inner circle, but also that like there's an us versus them with like God, that God is out there, not in here. Um, and I think both of those things are really, for me, were very harmful that actually there's not as much separateness with other people, with sacredness as perhaps we were led to believe. I'm wondering just to switch the topic a little bit. And I, I know we're, we're getting like on the second half, um, but I would love to hear a little bit more about what it's like for you to be a highly sensitive person in the world, whether it's a highly sensitive person recovering from religious harm and finding new community, um, or just what it's like to connect with yourself as someone who's highly sensitive. Right now, it feels like a lot of it is about really limiting what I let in, mm-hmm. what I what I allow close to me. I think one thing that I've been thinking about is like how many I've I've noticed over the years, like I'm really sensitive to images. Like I can't look at distressing images or watch scary movies. Like, Mm. like the most I can do is like maybe an action movie, but it has to be a certain type. And I'll usually probably look up um, the Wikipedia summary before I watch Mm. it because knowing pacing actually helps me regulate my nervous system. So I'm like, give me all the spoilers. <laughs> I will enjoy it more if I know what's coming and that I don't have to sort of worry about my body. I can let my, you know, tension build towards a resolution in a story um, a little bit easier than somebody else who might prefer the experience of not knowing what's about to happen and find that like, so rich and wonderful about a movie um, or TV show. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just like limiting where I'm spending my time. I mean, our phones are made to be so captivating and that's probably my biggest like 
push pull is like, how much time do I spend on this thing that provides me so much connection and therefore is essential to my wellness Mm -hmm. and also has so much potential for disconnection, for dissociation, for mindless scrolling, for buying stuff I don't need (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's like constantly in my face. So I, I think a lot about that as a highly sensitive person, like I'm probably more likely to do things that are not good for me just because I'm not as connected with those limits. Mm. Um, or I, I'm more likely to see, right. There's so much violence happening in the world right now in a, a terrible kind of helpless conflict with so many vulnerable and oppressed people, um, And yet I know that's sort of always going on, right? There's always tragedies and conflicts and violence and oppression. And I really have to limit like how much of that do I take in before I stop being effective at my life and at my sphere of influence. So I think that's hard because right, like being a good person is so connected, right? In sort of liberal culture to like being Mm -hmm. aware of what's going on, right? Like that is a an important part is like, well, I'm a person who can be aware of what's going on in the world and I'm therefore I'm better. And it's so connected with this like white savior complex or this like American kind of privilege. Um, And then the backlash, right. That is really hard is like, well, you just have this privilege to opt out. Mm. And, and I'm trying to become more aligned with like, yes, I, I do have the privilege to opt out. And that requires something different from me than just flooding my own nervous system with images of violence and war that I cannot do anything about, right? Other than like make a phone call to my representatives and say, you know, stop this violence, like make room for humanitarian aid and like figure out how to live in peace. Like that's your job as the government, like do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That like flooding your nervous system actually doesn't benefit anyone. No, and it doesn't make me more effective at the things that I could do. Yes. I'm curious. I I feel like we just opened up like a whole new rich topic. Um, It's just, yeah, so, so rich. Um, But I'm curious how you do make space for some of the more difficult emotions. Um, Because I can tell that you're very intentional about how you kind of approach these topics and yourself and how do you make space or how do you sit with perhaps the anger, the overwhelm or that, that guilt, like things that can be hard to sit with. I found that as an introvert, I do best being alone because I'm so in tune to other people also as a highly sensitive person. Like I'm so in tune with other people. It's hard for me to not try to manage relationships Mm -hmm. when I'm also needing to manage, right, these like, difficult emotions, guilt, shame, grief, sadness, mm-hmm. terror, mm-hmm. hopelessness. So I, I, the first thing that came to mind is like in my car, when I'm needing to drive somewhere, I that's my time to sort of like, I don't know, like I'll talk to myself. I'll talk myself through it or I'll play music that feels really connected and allows me to express my emotions um, even if it's something silly, right? Like how many times have I listened to that one Moana song where she's like, I am Moana, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I just like felt this power in it. Um, or that one song from Hamilton, like 
quiet uptown, right? Like that, that is a song that is very connected to grief. So it guides me in and I find that much easier to do alone. So kind of finding a quiet spot in my house when I'm here alone, I don't have children around, so I get to have alone time yeah. and, um, or in my car or maybe even on a walk around my neighborhood, just things, you know, it's helpful if I'm moving and it's helpful if I'm alone. And other than that, I try to just take things as they come. I don't I don't do a lot of journaling, probably because all of those like, you know, panicked prayer journals as a teen. Yep. <laughs> I needed to stop doing that for a while. Um, but yeah, something that, that feels connected to movement, right? There are certain movements that certainly bring up emotions that I wasn't expecting. You know, that as a trauma um, informed yoga instructor and practitioner. So sometimes it's just like, where can I choose to create enough space in my life that I am going to feel those emotions? Like I sort of have to schedule it in. Right. And and the key here, I think, is that you feel them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think as a highly sensitive person, sometimes you can't help but feel them, but that you aren't trying to push them away. You're actually welcoming them in, in a way that feels safe for your nervous system. What does um, movement look like for you? Are there particular practices or ways that you engage in that? Yeah. A lot of it is just like take a walk around my neighborhood. That's the most accessible and easiest thing to do. Um, there's been times in my life where I was more dedicated to Pilates or more formal, um, movement with other people in classes. And, um, yeah, it's just a lot of walking. I, I really enjoy my neighborhood. I live in a place that I really like, and I like seeing sort of the rhythms of that space. Yeah. I'm in Southern California, so it's still 80 degrees today. So I don't know what you're talking about with the seasons thing, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's still change that happens even yeah. even in the fall and winter in Southern California. Yeah, um, right. Your seasons are just different than mine yes. here in New England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainly different. Yeah. <laughs> And then I don't know, I'm a big fan of my just Apple Fitness app and just pulling out a yoga mat in my living room and just doing a little bit of movement Yeah. and just seeing what happens. Yeah. yeah. There, there have been times in my life where I've been a lot more dedicated to movement. And right now I just, I'm sort of trying to do enough and not worry about that too much. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I want to... Um just validate that dedication doesn't have to look like being a member of a yoga studio or a Pilates studio. Dedication and what I hear in you is conscious connection to what your body needs in any given moment. Um, I say that as a yoga teacher, that I never want people to think that you only benefit from movement if it's within a studio setting. Um, Right. Like it is about you, again, making choices for your body. Um, yeah. And that that can change and will change over time. Mm. Well, I know that we're kind of towards the end of our time. Before we close out, I would love to know if you have any um, any recommendations for people. I know we mentioned Hashtag Church 2, the book, which I will absolutely link in the show notes. Um, that was a just, uh, that was a powerful one for me. Um, but is there anything else if people want to like continue to explore 
some of what we've talked about, again, I feel like we scratched the surface on on so many different things. Yeah, there's a book called Trauma Stewardship that I go back to all the time um, by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. And I think what it did for me is it really helped open my eyes to a more effective way to engage in the world. Like if you are a highly sensitive person, if you're somebody who has a job that has a lot of meaning, if you're you know, a therapist or, you know, a hospital chaplain or you work with children, you're a teacher, like if you are a scientist who's tracking some of the impacts of climate change, that it's going to cost you personally. And this book really helped me figure out like what to do with that, how to engage with my limits better so that I could do sustainable work. Like that's my goal is what work for me, how many hours, which type of clients, you know, how much do I put into training? It's all about like, well, how do I do this work long term? That means I can't burn out. I I owe it to mm. people that I love that I to not burn out. Yes. Even if that means saying no to things that sound really great or saying yeah. like not yet to project ideas that I have. Mm. Um so I I love the book Trauma Stewardship. It's something I go back to all the time of like when when am I feeling like I'm creeping towards burnout or when am I dysregulated. And that also helps me find places where I can be more effective. Like, actually, I have a little more capacity to advocate for this something, you know, that I care about in my community or in the world. Um, For me, wellness is not something that I get to just like solve for myself and check off the list. As a white woman, solidarity with women who have different experiences than me um, who have different backgrounds and identities and are marginalized differently than me by our systems of power is is really important. Like I know wellness doesn't ever just come for me, mm. that we're actually part of something bigger and that if our efforts in taking care of ourselves can also include political solidarity, right, with people fighting for minimum wage increases or fair housing, people who are fighting for child care and, you know, better protections for people who get pregnant. Um, mm. All of those things for me are deeply connected not only to my values, but this idea of wellness. Like we, we rise and fall together. Like we only get through together. And as much as wellness is my job as an individual, it's also my job to think of like what privilege do I have in the world that I could spend in a meaningful way mm. towards people that I care about, whether I know them or not. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that in. Um, that is really important as we talk about wellness, that it cannot exist as just self-care as if it's an individual activity. It has to it has to be political. It has to be community care. It, yeah, I'll add to the book list recommendation, the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. I'll put that in the show notes um, as we're talking about burnout, another um, really useful resource. But oh, Emily, this has been such a rich conversation. It's given me a lot to sit with and think about. Um, if people want to connect with you online or in other capacities, where can they find you? Yeah, if you're in California, um, I can see clients in California or Florida. My books are pretty much closed towards the end of the year. But if you are interested maybe in reaching out in January, you can find me at emilymaynardtherapy.com. And then I'm also on Instagram as Emily Maynard LMFT. I'm also poking my head into threads, which I'm finding myself really enjoying. And that's also Emily Maynard LMFT. 
Awesome. I will link all of those in the show notes so people can um, connect with you and follow your work. You put out some great stuff online that I really enjoy and benefit from. So thank you for how you're contributing to community care and wellness. This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy or my website, carriefillion.com. Take care and stay well.